Now, we always get this question, how many properties do you need to get enough hours? And there's no real clear criteria. It really just comes down to hours. They don't say you need to have X number of units. Um, We've talked to a number of different accountants, and they confirm that it's a pretty bright line test. It's all based on hours. So if you do do 500 hours on more on one property, and you can substantiate that, uh, or if you do 750 hours on one property, you can substantiate that, uh, then you could potentially do it with one unit. But obviously, the more units you have, the easier it is going to be to justify these this 500 hours or the 750 hours with real estate professional. Have you ever dreamed of owning a vacation home? What if it could double as an investment property that makes you money and helps you save on taxes? Our new course, Accelerating Wealth Short-Term Rental Blueprint, will teach you how to purchase and set up your short-term rental the right way. Learn more about the course at semiretiredmd.com slash str hyphen course. Are you interested in learning more about owning your own portfolio cash flowing rentals? If so, we invite you to take our free mini course, the Crash Course in Cash Flowing Rentals. When you take our mini course, you'll learn the strategies we use to build our portfolio. You'll also get to see several of our students featured who have successfully built their own portfolios as well. To take our crash course, link to semiretiredmd.com forward slash mini course, M-I-N-I dash C-O-U-R-S-E, or visit our website at semiretiredmd.com and link to the crash course on cash flowing rentals there. You may also want to join a waitlist for our introductory course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals, while you're at our website too. We'll see you there. Welcome to the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast, the place where we talk about the strategies, habits, and mindset that separate wealthy docs from those who are not. We're your hosts. Leitin Kenji. Welcome to another episode of the Doctors Building Wealth Podcast. Today, Kenji and I are going to be answering a question we see a lot, and we see a lot of confusion happen in our communities about, and that is, what is the difference between the real estate professional status and short-term rental tax loophole? Now, Kenji and I are not CPAs, so we can't be giving you tax advice in this podcast. And so you really want to talk to your professional when you're making tax decisions and creating tax strategy. But what we're going to be talking about is something that we see and deal with commonly in our communities and what we've actually done ourselves with real estate professional in the short-term rental tax loophole. So the first place I think it's really important to start out with is what's the difference between a short-term rental and a long-term rental? Yeah. And so when we talk about these definitions, we're talking specifically what the IRS calls a short-term rental. And so an IRS defines a short-term rental as when your length of stay is seven days or less. Anything else, if it's eight days or more, it's considered a long-term rental. And that's really important because when you're thinking about using the short-term rental tax loophole, you need to make sure over the calendar year that your average length of stay is seven days or less, or else it's going to be considered a long-term rental. And you're really going to be in the space of needing to meet real estate professional status to be able to shelter income. So first, let's talk about why the sheltering income is so important before we dig into the details of short-term rental tax loophole versus real estate professional. So this is such an important topic, especially for 
a lot of the members in our community who are high, who have high incomes, it's how you can shelter your W-2 or 1099 income. Generally, when you're high income, you don't have any way to lower your tax burden. Uh, we're taxed at the highest rates. And so this is one way, uh, maybe one of the best ways to lower your tax liability. Yeah. And you can use the short-term rental tax loophole to do that or real estate professional. So let's talk about what is the similarity between short-term rental tax loophole and real estate professional. And then we'll talk about the differences. Well, both of them allow you to shelter W-2 or 1099 income. And there are other forms of income. Let's say you have partnership income. It's called K-1 income. And so any type of active income, you're going to be able to shelter with reps or with short the short-term rental tax loophole. One of the key similarities between real estate professional and the short-term rental tax loophole is you have to meet the requirements each calendar year. And so you can have real estate professional one year, and then the next year you could do not as many hours and not meet criteria. And the same is with the short-term rental tax loophole. We have a lot of people who will meet uh, one of the criteria for short-term rental tax loophole, shelter a lot of income one year, and then the next year make their property passive and hand it off and not actually meet criteria. Another similarity is that you can create losses the same way with depreciation and rehabs. And right now there's something called bonus depreciation. And we have a lot of uh, podcast episodes and blog articles about bonus depreciation. Uh, it is currently being phased out over time, but there's still a huge benefit. To summarize it really briefly, bonus depreciation is just accelerating that depreciation. It's front-loading it so you can claim a bigger loss up front so you can create a bigger tax shelter. Yeah. And so with for short-term rental, for example, we've bought short-term rentals. We've met the short-term rental tax loophole for the first year. We've used that bonus depreciation. We've done a rehab that we can write off. And then we've handed it over and not done the short-term rental tax loophole the next year. We've done that same thing with real estate professional too, where we create these huge losses with bonus depreciation and also with rehabbing our properties. And when we first started out, before there was really that 100% bonus depreciation, 80% bonus depreciation, we used to create all of our losses with rehabs. And so rehabs should not be overlooked. It's a very awesome source of creating losses on paper so that your taxes look like you're losing money, but you're actually making money in cash flow. Yeah. People wonder what, what's going to happen when when the bonus depreciation is phased out. And as Leite mentioned, you know, we've been investing even before bonus depreciation was available at such high rates. Uh, there used to be 50% bonus depreciation, but with recent legislation, it went up to 100. And that is being phased out. But again, this doesn't change uh, anything. You can still create losses with those rehabs and other ways. Now let's talk about some of the main differences between the short-term rental tax loophole and getting real estate professional status. So real estate professional status is a much higher bar. It really requires you to make real estate your primary profession. And so in our community, usually people are going out and buying multiple uh, long-term rentals or midterm rentals, and they're getting a lot more hours in real estate than they would at their day job. So oftentimes they're cutting back to half-time as doctors or even actually quitting their jobs altogether because they want to make sure that real estate is what they spend most of their time on. Whereas with the short-term rental tax loophole, a lot of people in our community are actually just doing a certain amount of time in one year, and they don't have to cut back on their primary profession at all because they don't need real estate to be their primary source of work. And just to share a few more examples, you know, the first year that Leite and I started investing in 2015, I cut back to half time and then quickly moved to just moonlighting. And with the properties that we purchased that year, I was able to claim real estate professional status. Another example is uh, we have a number of uh, community members who have either taken sabbatical years. Some have actually gone on maternity leave. And during this time, they took advantage of this time to claim reps because 
they cut back at their work or because of the sabbatical year, they were not working. And, uh, and so they were able to claim reps in those years. Another big difference is that rental properties are considered a passive activity. And so the only way that you can make it an active or non-passive activity is by claiming real estate professional status. Now, short-term rentals, it's a rental activity, but it's actually outside of these rules. And so that's why you don't have to achieve real estate professional status in order to get the tax benefits with short-term rentals. You can meet a lower threshold called material participation in order to shelter that income with a short-term rental. Another big difference with a short-term rental is that there are going to be some additional losses. You're going to have furniture, you're going to have artwork, furnishings, decorations, things that you do to outfit your short-term rental. These are all things that you can write off that you're not going to have with a long-term rental. This week's podcast is sponsored by our course, Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals. Zero to Freedom Through Cashflowing Rentals is a 10-week online course focused on helping physicians and high-income earners go from knowing little to nothing about real estate investing to confidently buying the cashflowing rentals that will allow them to achieve financial freedom and work in medicine or their day jobs on their own terms. Our course is only open to registration twice a year, so be sure to get on the waitlist at semiretiredmd.com and check out the course details on our course landing page. This episode is brought to you by Dan Peck of Movement Mortgage. If you're an experienced investor, you'll know just how important it is to have a lender who knows how to work with investors. We've been working with Dan and his team for over eight years now, and he's our go-to whenever we need a residential loan for our investment properties. Now, if you're new to investing, you might not know this, but your lender can sometimes be the difference between getting a great deal or completely missing out on it because your lender couldn't close the deal. I did want to point out that Dan can help you not only with your investment properties, but also if you're looking to buy a primary residence or vacation home. So the next time you're looking for a residential lender, be sure to email Dan at srmd at movement.com to get a free consultation. And also let him know that you're part of the Semi-Retired MD community to get an exclusive discount on your next loan. Now back to the episode. And let's shift a little bit and let's talk about the most common ways that people use the real estate professional and the short-term rental tax loophole in our community. So you can start to see patterns of how you could maybe apply this in your own life. So what we see with short-term rentals is people usually use two major material participation rules to be able to get their hours, to be able to convert their losses from short-term rentals from passive to non-passive activities. And that's what allows them to shelter active income like their W-2 income. So one of the ways that they commonly do that is with 100 hours and more than anyone else. And so what they'll do is they'll buy a short-term rental and they'll do most of the work around that short-term rental because they want to make sure that they're getting more hours than anyone else. And they definitely want to make sure they're getting over 100 hours in that calendar year. And so when we bought a short-term rental and actually used this loophole, what we did was we bought the property, we went through the whole process of buying it, which took a lot of hours, and then we outfitted the property. So putting together furniture, ordering furniture, you know, going and spending time, you know, kind of doing a lot of the work of setting it up. And then we also had a small rehab, but again, we oversaw that rehab. So we were making sure that we did more time than any cleaner, any contractor, and we didn't have a property manager. We self-managed it. And so that allowed us to get 100 hours, more than 100 hours in that calendar year and more than anyone else. And that allowed us to take our losses that we got from that small rehab and from depreciation and be able to shelter active income with those losses. And just to break it down, the other people that were working on the property were the contractor, 
the cleaners, and we didn't have a property manager. So really, we just had to make sure that we made did more hours than the cleaner and the contractor. And we did way more than them because we did everything from the purchase all the way to the setup and self-managing it, uh, getting the property rented a number of times before the end of the year. Now, the other uh, material participation rule we've often seen people use for short-term rental tax loophole is they'll do 500 hours. And what that doesn't require is doing more than anyone else. But that also means you have to own enough short-term rentals that are meeting that IRS definition of short-term rental, right? Which is rent uh, an average of seven days or less over the calendar year. And what they're doing is they're combining all the hours, they're kind of linking all the properties together, and they're getting over 500 hours in that calendar year spent on working on their short-term rentals. Now, one thing you've now noticed is that we're separating out hours with short-term rentals and long-term rentals. And that's because they really are separate buckets of hours. We just talked about real estate professional applying to long-term rentals, and that's eight days and more. And short-term rentals get that short-term rental tax loophole. So you're even collecting separate hours. And we do have people in our community that are meeting both real estate professional status and the short-term rental kind of tax loophole status with their short-term rentals. They're actually meeting both criteria throughout the entire year. Now with real estate professional status, it's much uh, it's a pretty clear criteria that the IRS wants. You know, real estate has to be more than anything else in terms of time. So you have to spend more than 50% of your working time in real estate and a minimum of 750 hours the entire year and a lot of those hours really need to be on your own rentals. And so what we'll see is Usually people go out and they buy several rentals, properties, long-term rentals in one year. They link them all together, group them, do this grouping election, and then they end up creating all those losses from depreciation and rehabbing. They don't have to do more than anyone else, but real estate does need to be their primary profession. And then they create those massive losses. And we always get this question, how many properties do you need to get enough hours? And there's no real clear criteria. It really just comes down to hours. They don't say you need to have X number of units. Um, We've talked to a number of different accountants and they confirm that it's a pretty bright line test. It's all based on hours. So if you do do 500 hours on more on one property, and you can substantiate that, uh, or if you do 750 hours on one property, you can substantiate that, uh, then you could potentially do it with one unit. But obviously, the more units you have, the easier it is going to be to justify these this 500 hours or the 750 hours with real estate professional. And really with both these statuses, what you want to do is you want to go create as many losses as possible. And that means buying as many properties as possible. So, you know, it may not actually be worth meeting criteria for real estate professional if you just own one property, because the amount of losses that you're creating with that one property may not make it worth doing seven more than 750 hours. Whereas you go out and you buy four or five or six properties in a year, and you easily get those 750 hours, you're not pushing and you're not having to look for hours. And now you've created a whole bunch of tax losses because you have bonus depreciation or appreciation on every single property, and you're rehabbing every property. And that's when it really becomes worth your time to do. And so, you know, in our community, people are not really doing real estate professional with just one property. Usually people are going out and buying a whole bunch of properties in one year. But with the short term rental tax loophole, oftentimes we do see people buy a single property and do that 100 hours and more than anyone else. And then the next year, maybe they go buy another property. And so I think the action that people generally take in the first year for real estate professional and short term rental tax loophole, we generally see people taking very different action in terms of how many properties they're going out and buying. And one last thing uh, we wanted to cover was how do people do this uh, depending on where they are in terms of their work. So somebody is working full time, 
A starting point might be to start with a short-term rental and use that to shelter their income. They can continue to work full-time. They, they just have to meet the 100 hours and more than anyone else. Uh, they have to buy a short-term rental and make sure that they're renting it for seven days or less. Uh, but once they do that, they're able to shelter the, their income that first year. They may also buy some long-term rentals that first year to start building up their long-term rentals, their cash flow. And then maybe in subsequent years, maybe in year two or three, they might transition by cutting back at work and then claiming real estate professional status. We also see couples doing that who are both working full-time. They use that type of strategy. But we also have some people who are just committed right from the beginning to cut back um, at work. Uh, that's what I did, cut back to 50% initially, uh, and then just commit to buying, like they said, buying multiple properties that first year to make sure that you have enough hours uh, that it exceeds your clinical hours or your your daytime hours. Uh, and, uh, and that's uh, what some people do uh, when they're just getting started. So you see, there's a lot of different possibilities here with using a short-term rental tax loophole and doing 100 hours more than anyone else or 500 hours, and then using real estate professional for midterm rentals, which are rentals that are you know anything that's eight days and above, and long-term rentals, and using that to shelter your income. And again, people are doing a variety of different things in our community, but a lot of people actually are claiming both statuses once they get into enough uh, real estate and they build enough big enough per portfolios. Now, we have a lot of other reading um, that we'll put some links below for blog articles um, about this topic or surrounding topics. And if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to our podcast, Doctors Building Wealth, and leave us a five-star review. We'll see you next episode. The Doctors Building Wealth podcast provides information only and does not provide any financial, legal, tax, medical, or psychological services or advice. You are responsible for your own financial, physical, mental, and emotional well-being, decisions, choices, actions, and results. You should contact a professional if you have any specific questions about your unique situation.